Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. Hello, everyone. This is the first drash I've given at Mishkan that I haven't been just like in front of my screen alone or like drashing basically to my dog and a bunch of imaginary people. So hello, Shabbat Shalom. In 2016, a woman named Opal Lee, black woman from Texas, decided that it was time to take what she had always believed, that Juneteenth should be a national holiday. It was time to take that bigger. So the then 89-year-old woman laced up her sneakers and decided to walk from her home in Fort Worth, Texas to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness and excitement about this idea of making Juneteenth a national holiday that Juneteenth celebrates the day in 1865 that black Texans who were enslaved finally got word of the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years after it was issued. And it has been celebrated as a holiday by black people around the country since then. So Opal's walk was done in two and a half mile increments to mirror the two and a half years that black Texans waited to hear of emancipation. And she walked about 1,400 miles over the course of that time. So originally she actually had planned to do the whole route to go straight from Fort Worth, Texas, all the way to Washington, DC. And after a few weeks of walking, basically from Fort Worth to Dallas, she decided actually new plan. I'm only gonna walk in places that I'm invited. And she ended up walking all over the country in Shreveport, Louisiana and Little Rock, Arkansas and Philadelphia and Chicago and Atlanta. And she did eventually make it to Washington, D.C. on January 10th, 2017. In each of the places that she walked, hundreds of people would come out to walk with her and would continue to sign petitions. Eventually, over a million people signed petitions to make Juneteenth a national holiday and news coverage continued to grow of her campaign. In 2019, Bernie Sanders tweeted a video about her, which given his huge platform really elevated her cause. And yesterday, Opal Lee's dream came true. The United States federal government voted to recognize Juneteenth as a national federal holiday. Two years before the actual celebration this year. And the timing feels particularly poignant that the past year or so has seen some of the most public and serious reckoning with racial injustice and with America's legacy of slavery in decades. So this year we've done crucial and overdue work to acknowledge the harm that we have done to black people in this country and to start to think about ways that we could mitigate that harm, that we could undo some of that harm, that we could make amends for what we've done. And though Juneteenth celebrates the day that slaves were officially, finally, completely freed in this country, the past year has taught us that we have a lot of work still to do for freedom. But Juneteenth is not about reckoning with the legacy of slavery. At its core, Juneteenth is a celebration. It's known as Freedom Day, a day to celebrate freedom and Black lives and Black contributions to America. Over the last few centuries, Juneteenth has gained national prominence, particularly in moments of racial reckoning, particularly in moments that the struggle for ongoing black liberation feels particularly acute. And it might feel like kind of cognitive dissonance to say, let's make a day where we're gonna celebrate 
Black lives at these moments where we're particularly aware of just how much liberation we still have yet to achieve. But let that initial dissonance be our reminder that celebration and reckoning go hand in hand. Opal Lee suggests that a true celebration of freedom in America would be actually to celebrate from Juneteenth for two weeks straight until the 4th of July. She reminds us that this country would not be what it is without the contributions of Black people, without contributions in art and science and poetry and medicine and law and justice. The list goes on. We can't celebrate freedom in this country until all of us are free. And we can't celebrate freedom without committing ourselves to protecting and nurturing it. So in reading and watching a lot of interviews with Opal Lee this week, I have come to see her a little bit as like a modern day Miriam. Miriam is one of the earliest female prophets in the Tanakh. And she is associated with both celebration and sticking up for what she believes to be right. We don't actually see or hear that much from her in the Torah, but what we do know about her from the Torah inspires one of the most rich canons of Midrash that the rabbis have. So the first time that we see Miriam is actually when she is a nameless little girl watching over her baby brother Moses as he is floating down the Nile in a basket. And Miriam, this unnamed child, is the one who goes to fetch the baby's mother and brings her to be a nursemaid for the baby in Pharaoh's palace, thereby ensuring that baby Moses will have a sense of connection to his people. According to the rabbis, though, Miriam's impact on her brother's life began long before he was born. So in Jewish tradition, Amram, who is Moshe and Aaron and Miriam's father, was a major leader and scholar in the Israelite community in Egypt. And when Pharaoh issued his decree that all baby boys should be drowned in the Nile, Amram at that point was just the father of two children, Aaron and Miriam. And he, he hears this decree and the rest of the Israelite community hears this decree and they go into a panic. And Amram, as a leader in his people, decides to divorce his wife, Yocheved, and influences all the other men in the Israelite community to divorce their wives, thereby sort of trying to convincing, convince them to not procreate and therefore not risk babies' lives. And let's just pretend for the sake of this story that actually that would work in stopping procreation. So Miriam at the time is just five or six years old and she hears her father's degree and she starts to argue with him. And she's like, dad, what you've done is even worse than what Pharaoh did because you know, not all babies are going to be boys. And besides, who knows what's going to end up happening with Pharaoh's decree, but you're a leader. People are definitely going to listen to you. In other words, you're preventing good people from being born. In other words, what you think is this act of self-preservation, of protecting your people, is actually giving up hope in its ultimate form. I can't let you do that. And Amram listens to his five-year-old daughter right? This great scholar and leader takes advice from his little kid and he remarries Yocheved and has this huge celebration and they have a great reunion evening and baby Moshe is born. It's such a remarkable story because a little girl who is perhaps one of the most disenfranchised people in the ancient world convinces her leader male father to change his actions. But here's the thing about Miriam that actually really inspires me. She has this ability to sustain and to be in the present moment, even as she looks towards how it can be better. 
So Miriam is the person who grabs her timbrels and leads all the women in song and dance right after they make it through the splitting of the sea. Why, you might ask, I ask, the rabbis asked, would a person who is fleeing slavery quickly grab a timbrel of all things? If they don't even have time to bake their bread, what is Miriam doing grabbing this random musical instrument as she flees her home? Because the time is going to come when I want to celebrate and I want to be prepared. Or so the rabbis imagine Miriam's thought process. It's an act of tremendous faith to prepare to celebrate before the celebration happens, to lead others in celebration, to insist that joy and celebration will be present. They will happen for us. Even in this imperfect moment. So the moment that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, led by Miriam's brother, her prophecy that her brother will be born to do great things comes true. Her insistence that her parents not give up is validated. And that moment that the Israelites make it across the sea, that is the exact moment that the work begins. That they have to begin a journey towards freedom, which is even harder. We all need a Miriam in our lives. Or maybe we all just need to be a little more like Miriam or like Opal Lee. It's such a gift, such a talent to be able to live in the present moment, to celebrate what is happening now, even with all the messiness and the imperfection and the emotion. And at the same time that we celebrate what is to continue to imagine and work towards what could be. It's life-giving, it's life-sustaining to be the person who holds on to the good and the possibly better at the same time. So Miriam dies in this week's Parsha. That's why the Israelites end up thirsty. And the Israelites lose a champion against injustice. And they they lose a person who has led them in joy. And they lose their water, their literal source of life in the desert. So the Torah narrates that Miriam dies and was buried. And the next verse says, and the Israelites were thirsty and they cried out to Moshe because they had no water. So the rabbis take this juxtaposition of verses to mean that Miriam was the source of water for the Israelites in their wandering in the desert. That Miriam had some sort of magical well that rolled around with the Israelites wherever they went in the desert and that wherever they camped, it would provide them water. And that when she died, her rock well magical thing disappears and suddenly the Israelites are left very thirsty. And it's tragically sad to me that this never gets recognized until Miriam dies. That it takes losing what they have in the present moment to recognize how important that person who celebrated their present moments with them was for them. That Miriam, who is the beacon of celebration in the Israelite community, the light of the party, she's not celebrated for her contributions until it's too late. Today, we celebrate Miriam at our seders with a cup of water. Miriam's cup, which we all fill with water from our own glasses, sits on the table next to Elijah's cup, which is filled with wine that we will never drink. These two glasses on our table next to each other at our ultimate celebration of freedom remind us to celebrate what sustains us now and to continue to dream and work towards a better, more redemptive future. So tomorrow, as the United States officially celebrates Juneteenth as a national holiday for the first time, 
as we officially celebrate black freedom for the first time in our history, I'm thinking of Miriam. I'm thinking of Miriam who called the Israelites to celebrate at their moment of recognizing the taste of freedom, even when it wasn't fully realized. And I'm thinking of Opal Lee, who has been calling us to do the same thing. We still have so much work to do to bring about full liberation for black people. Freedom Day celebrates an imperfect freedom, a freedom that is yet to come still. From now until July 4th, when we're used to celebrating freedom in this country, how can we continue to commit ourselves to building the freedom that we want and deserve? Can we continue to advocate for voting rights and against mass incarceration and for better education and economic opportunity and public safety and all of the things that all of us need to be truly free, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness available to us? But as we fight for those things, can we also celebrate the freedoms that we do have now as a reminder of just how precious that freedom is and will be when we get there? So when Opal was asked how she would feel about Juneteenth being recognized as a national holiday, she said, oh girl, I could do a holy dance. You and Miriam both, Ms. Lee, and me too. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, Thanks for tuning in.